Hear the word of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife, Penina, and to her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, Penina, used to provoke her severely, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. She, Penina, used to provoke Hannah. And therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly, and she made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard, and therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. And then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. And then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we are grateful for your presence among us, and we are grateful for your word. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you alone, O oh Lord, are our rock and our mighty redeemer, and it is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen and amen. So today we are going to have a character study from these texts that we just read earlier this morning, a character study. Now, the, the truth is, the Bible contains all kinds of real characters. And you know what I mean by real characters. 
Real characters are those people like Uncle Sammy that, you know, you ask your family when you're getting ready to get together for Thanksgiving or Christmas, is Uncle Sammy going to be there? And somebody says, he'll be 45 minutes late like always. And he'll bump into something when he drives up. And everybody rolls their eyes and shakes their head because everybody knows Uncle Sammy. Uncle Sammy's a real character. Not only is he a real character, but every family has got a real character. And if you can't think of who the real character is in your family, that's because you are the real character in your family and everybody is is talking about you but think about the characters in the bible we've got adam and eve who are an amazing environment they they live in this amazing environment where god himself walks with them in the cool of the day and yet they are seduced by a talking snake we've got abram who is an old man who sets out on a journey not even knowing where he's going And you think Abram's got a happy marriage? He tries to pawn Sarah off on Pharaoh and another king in order to save his own skin. Abram's a real character. We've got Moses, who's a real character. Moses has got a speech impediment and an arrest warrant out for him in Egypt. He's left Egypt, he's fled, he's gotten married, started a family, and and suddenly he's called to go back to Egypt to... Do something that's world-changing, life-changing, and God uses him to rescue the people from slavery in Egypt and bring them to freedom. In the New Testament, we got Peter. Peter is strong to jump in with the right answers when Jesus says, you know, who do people say that I am? And there's all kinds of answers to that, John the Baptist, Elijah. Peter jumps up with the right answer, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Just a paragraph or two later, Peter says to to Jesus, who says, I'm going to Jerusalem where I will be handed over and and put to death. And and Peter says, you you must not say such things, Lord. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Satan. Peter can get it right. Peter can get it wrong. Peter can step out of the boat onto the water. And Peter can also pull out his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Talk about real characters. There's Paul. Paul hates Christians so much that he goes from Jerusalem to Damascus with arrest warrants to bring Christians back to Jerusalem. Now, from Jerusalem to Damascus is not like Danville to Perryville. From Jerusalem to Damascus on foot is a big deal. Paul goes to persecute Christians and has an experience on the way there that people quite literally don't believe. When he gets to Damascus, he is no longer the persecutor of Christians, but their chief spokesperson And the Christians there are like, I don't know what you're trying to pull over our eyes, but uh, we know why you're really here. And it takes a long, long time for people to recognize that Paul has really changed and that he who once persecuted the Christians has become a Christian himself. These are real characters in the Bible. They they have their, their... failings and they have their strengths and 
there's this set of characters that we're going to look at today from 1 Samuel 1, 4 to 20. This set of characters in order of appearance. And we need to look for just a moment at the setting of this narrative. Well, uh, we have here the Sea of Galilee, and then we have the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River runs directly south from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. Now, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are over here, and this is where a lot takes place in Jerusalem through the, the history of the Old Testament. But one of the things to recognize, though, is before Jerusalem was ever a place worth going to or looking at, that comes with King David, uh, for a long time, right here where this flag is, is Shiloh. And Shiloh is, in fact, the location of the Ark of the Covenant from the time of Joshua to the time of Samuel. In Old Testament thought, the Ark of the Covenant was, in a pretty significant and real way, the throne of God. And so if you wanted to present yourself before the presence of God, you would find the Ark of the Covenant. If there was an army of Israel that was going out and, and wanted the presence of God to accompany them, that's why the Ark of the Covenant goes out in battle. So Shiloh, not Jerusalem, is from the time of Joshua to the time of Samuel, the, the epicenter of religious life. And it's a place of pilgrimage. It's a place of worship. When you wanted to go and present yourself before God, before Jerusalem was ever on the map as a religious place, Shiloh was the center of attention. So the narrative we're looking at here is a narrative that describes one family's annual pilgrimage from Ramah to Shiloh. It's something that they did year after year after year. And we're going to look at the set of characters that are a part of this narrative. The first is Elkanah. Elkanah, the, the father of the family, the, the patriarch of the family. And he was faithful. It mattered to him that they worshipped and that they worshipped well. He was faithful to make this annual pilgrimage and to provide for his, his wives and their families uh, sacrifices that could be brought to Shiloh. Now I say wives. Most of you have read the Bible enough, but every now and then it's, uh, it's shocking when, when you read the Bible with children or with, with uh, people who've never read the Bible before. And like, well, wives? Do they have more than one? In the Old Testament, there are multiple places where, where one man is married to more than one woman. There are social reasons for this. Uh, imagine, for example, you know, you've got 50, essentially 50% 50 of children born are boys and 50% of children born are, are girls. And imagine in the ancient world when a city would go off to war against a neighboring city and only half of the men who went out came back from battle. The battle was as gruesome and grotesque in the ancient world as, as it is in the modern world, and sometimes even, even more so. And so the, the very 50-50 the, the, the kind of uh, uh, division between male and, and female was, was not always um, able to be maintained. And, and so therefore, in order for society to function, um, people like Elkanah uh, had, had to have more than one spouse. The problem with that is 
that in a society where men often had multiple wives, it almost always presents this problem of favoritism. And we know all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Bible, that favoritism is not something that ends up working out very well. Jacob had a favorite wife and a less favored wife. Joseph was the favored child. He got the coat of many colors. He, he got the coat that symbolized that he didn't have to work while the rest of his brothers did. Favoritism doesn't always turn out well. So Elkanah, he's a faithful guy, but he clearly has his favorites. And he saw that Hannah was in pain. But he didn't have the understanding or the skills to help her move beyond her grief. He saw that something was wrong in his family and he didn't know what to do about it. And all he could say to his grieving wife Hannah was, am I not much more to you than even a whole bunch of children could be? Elkanah. The second character we meet is Penina. Penina is the unfavored wife. Uh, Penina knew what it was like not to have the status of favorite. The flip side of that for Penina is that she also knew the buttons to push. She also understood the Achilles heel of the one who was favored. Penina knew exactly how to get Hannah's goat. And instead of giving thanks for what she did have, Penina used to provoke Hannah severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And this she did year after year after year. And then we meet Eli the priest. Eli the priest is an interesting character. One of the things we learn about Eli as we read through 1 Samuel is that he has eyesight trouble. Now this is, a, this is physically, this is a physical problem with his eyes, probably cataracts, and at the age of 98, I'll be happy if I can see anything if I live to the age of, of 98. But Eli's vision troubles are not just physical. Here is from the narrative where God calls Samuel. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying in his room later on in the next chapter. Now, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. We get this impression that it's not just the physical vision that is Eli's problem, but there is a spiritual vision. Eli doesn't see, for instance, that his sons are pilfering from the offering plate. Eli doesn't see, for instance, until it's happened again and again and again, that God is calling Samuel. There is something very specific about Eli's inability to see what is going on. So Eli is on duty. There he is at Shiloh. He's probably sitting there. I've been to Israel several times. Every time I go and go to the Church of the Nativity, 
the same guy is sitting at the front of the church of the nativity. Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful. He's, he's an Eastern Orthodox priest, but he looked like he was 120 the first time I saw him, and he's not gotten any older or, or any younger since. He's, he's there. He's watching over. That's how I see Eli, this, this old, old priest watching the pilgrims enter in for worship. And Eli sees Hannah praying silently, passionately. Her lips are moving. She's on the ground. She's, she's not really making any sound. And, and Eli, whose vision is dim, does not have compassion on her. In fact, not only does Eli not have compassion on her, but he points his finger and he judges her. How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself, he says. Put away your wine. Now, the character of Eli actually is perhaps more complicated because Eli is not so blind that he's unyielding. Eli is not so blind that he can't change his mind and recognize that he is wrong. And, and once he listens to Hannah, once he is really convinced that she is pouring out her soul to God, Eli adjusts his response and offers her a blessing. And he says, go in peace. The God of Israel grants you the petition that you have made to him. Eli, poor vision physically and spiritually, and yet not so hard-hearted and unyielding that he can't change his opinion. And then there's Hannah. Hannah is loved by Elkanah, even if he doesn't know how to love well, even if he doesn't have the skills to be a great husband. She is loved. Hannah is hurt by Penina, who, who pushes her buttons and takes what she's most self-conscious about and then tries to use it against her. Hannah is, Hannah is pained. But even in pain that she experiences year after year after year, she approaches the Lord, believing in the Lord's power to make broken situations whole. And in a unique way, Hannah finds blessing, and her blessing ends up blessing God's people. Hannah gives birth to Samuel. Samuel anoints Saul as king. Saul is rejected as king, and Samuel anoints David as king. And thus begins the whole Davidic line that goes from about 1,000 B.C. to 586 B.C., almost uninterrupted. Hannah finds blessing and blesses God's people even when she experiences suffering and disappointment. So what are the gospel lessons from these character studies that we can pull? Well, the first of them is that Jesus can redeem even the messiest of situations and bring blessings to those who trust in him. And when he brings those blessings to those who trust in him, he can bring blessings to the world. 
Another lesson is that the Lord doesn't use perfect people, perfect families, perfect situations. The Lord uses us as we are to bless ourselves and our families and those around us. There's one perfect person that God has used in the history of the world, and he was crucified and rose again. And everyone else that the Lord has used, we're all people like you and me and our families. We're all characters, one way or the other. We're, we're all characters with our idiosyncrasies, with our personality defects and our personality gifts, with our blind spots and our true vision. We're all characters. Our families know it. Those who are closest to us know it. When I feel bad, I can get a little bit dramatic. There was a time in the past couple of weeks when I felt really, really bad. And I didn't think Melinda knew how bad I felt. And uh, she sent me a text from school and asked me to move something from the washing machine to the dryer. But she didn't know how bad I felt. So I had to tell her how bad I felt. And I said something like, it hurts to open my eyes, it hurts to keep them closed. It hurts to listen to a sound, it hurts to hear silence. It hurts to move, it hurts to stay still. So as I was saying all these things, I, I did stop myself from going over the top. My over the top message was going to be, if I am dead when you get home, I love you. <laughs> We're all characters with our idiosyncrasies. We're all characters with the personality gifts and defects that God has given us. We're all characters. But our own transformation and the transformation of our circumstances comes as we pour out our troubles before the Lord and as we let him use even the most painful of our experiences to reach us, and not only to reach us, but to bless our friends, to bless our families, to bless our communities. We're all characters, imperfect as we might be. We're all characters. Be God's character. Be someone who is so in touch with God that in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of even the most painful of situations, when we pour ourselves out before the Lord, we become vessels that he can use even when life isn't, life isn't as rosy as we wish it would be. These characters have always intrigued me. Elkanah, Hannah, Penina, Eli. And in these 16 verses, I've always loved this sketch that you can get of men and women of faith with flaws. Because it reminds me that any of us who are characters can influence the world for good if we're God's character. In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.